time, this, that, and the other thing. And you know what my dad used to say? He used to say this. I heard this a lot. Self-praise stinks. You ever hear that expression? Self-praise stinks. I think he ended it with an F. Stinketh. <laughs> yeah. And while the Bible agrees with him, my friends, they certainly didn't put it that way. Not in those terms. But it goes a whole lot further than just being humble. I want you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Math, or Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. This is no doubt a passage you've read in the past, maybe perhaps multiple times. And you've nodded your head in agreement and you just kept going. But my friends, we've got to hit the brakes on this one. We've got to take some time to consider this truth. You see, Jesus is talking about greatness. And you might be thinking he's talking about martyrdom. He's not. He's talking about living your life a different way. Take a look with me, if you will, starting in verse 32. And here in verses 32 and 34, what we see is greatness on display. And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And you know what Jerusalem meant for Jesus. It's going to define it a little later in this passage. But he was going there to be arrested, falsely tried and convicted, turned over to the Gentiles to be executed greatness in action. And so they're going on the road up to Jerusalem. Now that term up, Jerusalem was a city on a hill, my friends. When they say they went up, they went up. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And look at those who looked on. They, they, they were amazed and those who followed him were afraid. It seemed like there's trouble brewing. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And then comes a warning. And taking the twelve again, this is Jesus, he began to tell them what was about to happen. And here is Jesus laying this out. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. Going to be arrested. And the chief priests will condemn him to death. They will condemn him to death. It's a certainty. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, friends... If you knew that by going to work, to your house, to your neighborhood, that such a horrific thing would happen to you, wouldn't you just turn around? Not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. It wasn't a surprise to him what was coming. It was ordained before the foundation of the world, my friends. The Son of God would take on flesh and die for our sin. The most cruel, cruel, horrific death it was. And so here is greatness on display. Here is Jesus not considering himself. 
but considering you. Because friends, if he doesn't do it, our destiny is hell. Eternity in hell. And in laying this out, Jesus wants to teach the disciples a very important lesson. You see, in the kingdom of man, greatness is measured in terms of prominence. Clout. There's a word for you. Clout. Anybody know what that word means? Well, we do unless we're asked anyway. It sure means we've got a lot of power and a lot of influence. My son-in-law was uh, an employee at the um, UPS looking at a strike this week. Going to cost millions and millions of dollars, whatever they decide. And I think a lot of people are just hoping that someone with a lot of clout marches in there and brokers a deal that everyone can be happy with. Clout, influence, a mover, and a shaker. We use all kinds of terms. And we all want to kind of be that person. We don't want to be in the back. You go over there. Remember that centurion? talking to Jesus, his servant was sick. And he said, Lord, my servant is sick. Will you heal him? And Jesus says, yes, I will. Let's go to your house. And he says, you don't need to go to my house because I too am a man under authority. I tell someone to go and he goes. I tell someone to come and he comes. <clears throat> oh man, it's nice to be that person, isn't it? You say it, they do it. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. I've never been that person. Have you? I'm a husband, not a wife. So. That was funny. Everybody laugh. <laughs> so notice here in verse 35. That's what the disciples were thinking. Man, it'd be good to be on time. So notice James and John, the son of Zebedee, they came up to him, that's Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Well, there's a great mindset of prayer. Lord, we want you to give us whatever we want. That is, that's a bad start right there, my friends. But notice this. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And I'll tell you what, friends, they belong for the fences here. And they said to him, grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in glory. We don't want to be in the cheap seats. We want to sit next to you on your throne. Oh, talk about arrogance. Talk about missing the whole point. Here is Jesus who has just told them, I'm going to go lay down my life. They're going to kill me. And I'm going to do it for you. Well, as long as you're doing something for us, can we sit on the throne with you? And this is an opportunity for Jesus to define greatness. Friends, I really want you to listen hard on this. This is an enormously important concept for us here. It is essential that we understand this. You see, Jesus denies the request. And he does so for, I think, three reasons. 
The first is they are ignorant. They didn't understand a few things. They didn't know that the cross always precedes the crown in God's kingdom. Suffering, then glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with a baptism of with which I am baptized? You say, what's that all about? You want to drink out of Jesus' cup? Is, is there something magic about that? You see, that's a metaphor. And Jesus talked about this cup that he had to drink in Mark chapter 14, at verse 32. You see, Jesus now is, is in the Garden of Gethsemane in this text. He's about to be arrested and crucified, knowing exactly, exactly in every detail, everything that is to follow. This is the prayer that he prays. Verse 34. He's talking to his disciples. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And this is not an easy thing for Jesus. Well, we think Jesus just walks in, man, don't worry, I'll be alive in three days anyway. Every one of those nails, every one of those whips, every one of those words, they suffer. But notice in verse 35, this is in Mark 14. And going a little far further, he fell on the ground and he prayed. This is Jesus praying. And he says, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. You see, this cup that he's talking about is his death. This crucifixion, this torture that he would experience up into suffocating to death. And there's Jesus. Let this cup pass. And so Jesus says, You able to drink that cup? Look at verse 39. And they said to him, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure we are. The cup that uh, I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism which I baptize, you will be baptized. That baptism, the term there is for suffering, his death, and the agony that he would experience. You want to go through that? Because, friends, before you hit the throne, you got to hit the cross. Yep, you're going to die ministering for me. You're going to suffer for it. So reason number one, he said no because of their ignorance. Reason number two, because of the great cost. And reason number three, Jesus says here in verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant. You see, in another place, I think it's in Matthew 9, maybe Mark, I don't know. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> it's in chapter 9. The disciples actually had a different...
disagreement among themselves about which of them was the greatest. And they missed the whole point. It's not about being on the top, my friends. That's not greatness in the kingdom of heaven. But here in verse 43, Jesus lays out for us this oh-so-important truth. In the kingdom of God, greatness is defined differently. Listen to me carefully, my friends. The way you live your life, you will stand before Jesus in a time of reward. Will he look to you and say, well done, my faithful servant. Listen carefully to what he says. You see, the world sees greatness as power. In verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority. They say go and you go. They say jump, you say how high. That's how the world sees greatness on the top of the food chain. I control it all. But it is not so, my friends, in the kingdom of God. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 43, and do not miss this, effort, uh, uh, this, this, this significance here. But it shall not be so among you. You are not people. The people that I have saved, that church of mine, no one lords it over anyone. You want to know who's on the top? Jesus. And the only thing that matters, my friends, is this. How does God define greatness? Verse 43. Whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Just like Jesus. It is the one who stays. It is the one who says, I will. No, let me take that. Let me help you. It is the one who looks around and says, who is in need and how can I help? It is the one who does not see them as the big guy, but in the eyes of a servant. Your purpose in the church is to serve one another. I'm telling you, friends, this is enormously important, to be a servant. It goes against everything inside of us. We want to be the one in control. We know what we want, and we want what we want, and when we want it. Not the attitude of a servant, my friends. A servant is focused on someone else. And here's the Lord Jesus telling those who are following him, it must not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That is how God counts greatness. The one who is able to humble himself for herself and serve others. 
how does that fit? When you hear that truth, what does that do between your ears? Is that a terrifying thing? Oh, no. I hate helping people. Oh, Lord, I pray that that is not the attitude of your people here today. Lord, help us to be servants, to humble ourselves, to love someone else enough that we would serve them. Look at verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. That doesn't fit in this world very well. You see, when Jesus came, they were expecting some great warrior. Some great leader that would lead them to conquer Rome and overcome all of these what they found was a servant who was willing to lay down his life for people like me and you who don't deserve it. And that's the point of service. It's not because they deserve it. It's because of who you are inside. We've got to measure that stuff right now, friends. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And look at what he says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You want to be great? Jesus wants you to be great. And greatness looks like humility, service. And you know what that looks a lot like? Love. Remember, love is a sacrificial investment in someone else's life. Not for glory, not for the praise of man, but for the good of someone else. Interesting story about Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. It was on an airplane, and in the back of the plane, there was a child who was just unwilling to be happy, screaming and shrieking, and no matter what they offered this kid, they would not stop yelling and screaming and crying. So the colonel, Kentucky colonel, he was, got up, went back, and just out of kindness and love, just encouraged that little boy into happiness. You know what the trick was? Maybe it was just love. And as he went back to his seat to take a nap, people said, thank you, oh, thank you so much. And the, wait, uh, the, the stewardess says, well, I'm so thankful that you did that. And he says to her, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the child. Did you think that in that story? Or were you just thinking about all the inconvenienced people? Friends, I hope you thought about both of them. Because those are the thoughts of the servant. How can I serve the people around me? Greatness in Christ's kingdom is not measured by the superior status 
of self, but by sacrificial service to others. The greatest commandment, my friends, is to love one another. And how do you do that? You humble yourself and you serve. This is who we must be. And this will only take place in cooperation with the Spirit of God. But if you have no intention of living this way, you dishonor the Lord Jesus who taught it. And you shame the church. Live well. Be great by serving others. I've had the good fortune of having a mom who perfectly illustrated this lifestyle of love and care and service for others. And then I married a woman who did the same. That's a big bar, my friend. That's how we learn. We watch and we learn what it's like to serve. The motivation is our love for Jesus. And in our love for him, we love others by serving them, by humbling us. Galatians chapter 5 and 13 and 14 says the very same thing. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ask yourself, what do I want? And go give it to someone else. Go give it to someone else. So stop trying to be the boss. Stop trying to be the person on top. Know this, it will be a battle. Your sin nature will do everything it can to say, no, get what you want, forget them. It's a battle, and it's a battle every day. Remember this, serving others demonstrates your love for God. You want to communicate to this world that God is not only real, but he is good and he is loving? Be the kind of child that honors him. Humble yourself and serve. And know this, that serving is not just picking up stuff and carrying stuff. Sometimes it's nothing but stopping to listen to someone. Listening to their story. And yeah, they're not getting to the point, you know, and they're talking about all of the details and you just want to find out what the end of it is. Serving says, tell me all of it. No, he's really he's hypocrite. I'm learning. I'm learning. Serving is guarding someone's reputation. Not participating in a conversation about a third party. It's sin, my friend. But serving others, even when they're not present. Serving is celebrating the success that someone has had. 
not waiting for them to tell you so you can tell them what you did. Lots of ways to serve, my friends. Discover them all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us, because everything inside of us, this, this grotesque sin nature, simply screams out, me, me, me. And yet you have called us to something greater. To look out for someone else. Oh, God, help us. Deliver us, God, I pray. That we would be people who look out for one another. And that when we see the need, we act. Open our eyes, Father, I pray. By your Holy Spirit. Change our minds about this. Convict us. Convince us that this is the road of life. This is the road that honors you. This is the road that imitates our Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to live this way, I pray. In Jesus' name.